Welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. I'm proud to partner with Pendleton Whiskey. Pendleton Whiskey just released its fourth annual We've Got Your Sixth Limited Edition Military Bottle to honor veterans of the United States Armed Forces. Pendleton Whiskey has pledged to donate $100,000 of proceeds to support the Bob Woodruff Foundation, which helps create healthy, positive futures for our service members, veterans, and their families. Go to PendletonWhiskey.com and check out their cocktails page, which provides a Western spin on your classic cocktails. All right, let's get to it. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. All right, guys, welcome back to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. I've got Pete Hegseth uh, today. You are probably the most uh, recognizable Fox host out there, maybe just me, but, uh, you know, uh, best-selling author, uh, you've got a long rap sheet, but I think what I know Pete best for is one when he accidentally, uh, struck a West point drummer with a, uh, with an ax. I say accidentally with air quotes because was it intentional? We'll never know. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, when he defiled a Harvard, uh, diploma, uh, which, you know, what did the diploma do to you, man? Why, why would you do that? Why? I tell you. Uh, no, no, Pete, good to have you on. For those that uh, live under a rock, just give us, give us the, the quick background on, uh, on Pete. Well, you know, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I am born and raised in Minnesota, small town boy, wonderful family, blessed. Uh, it's the ultimate privilege is having parents that love you and raise you and teach you to love the Lord and care about the country. And so that's where I really came from. All I cared about was basketball until I was about 20 years of age, thought I was going to be an NBA player. And then I realized that uh, short, slow, white, can't jump, doesn't matter how many threes you can make, it's never going to happen. So you can't overstate the depth of that uh shaping who I was six hours in a gym every day. And then I, and then I uh, went into ROTC, joined the military, uh, deployed a couple of times, Guantanamo Bay with my national guard unit, Iraq with the 101st, started some vets organizations. When I came back, uh, ran for office, that was another failure. Uh, so I had a political inclination always have, but running for office is, is of yesteryear and, uh, got, got the degree that I then sent back because it's an indoctrination factory, uh, was a part of another vets organization. And then, uh, started doing Fox stuff and the ax incident, which I will uh, comment on only briefly is, uh, was my first weekend ever hosting Fox and friends, my first weekend ever, uh, that happens and it becomes an international clickbait. Uh, vet hits man on TV with an axe uh, on live TV. Yeah. So it's been a blessing to be at Fox. They're wonderful folks. And and as we'll as we may talk about, I take very seriously um, the, as one of the very few post 9-11 combat vets in the media, especially a host trying to give voice to our generation of guys. I did like this negative this percent of what our generation did, but I tried to give voice to what so many did that'll never get a spotlight, never get a platform, never had a camera shown on their face. So I, I take that real seriously. And no one, Pete, will ever question that. You indeed have given the veterans a voice and you continue to advocate for them. Not only the positions you held in the veteran nonprofits, but I, I know we'll talk uh, probably heavily about the Patriot Awards coming out uh, November 17th. Is that correct? November 17th, the, the award show that actually matters, Mike. It's Hollywood that's been doing award shows for years, giving awards to people who play heroes on TV, the Patriot Awards. It's a no-brainer. 
uh, it was the idea was find people who did heroic things, who deserve the spotlight, who never did it to seek the spotlight and then elevate those stories. And it has exploded in just four years into a huge annual event that everybody's excited about. And it'll every year it'll bring tears to your eyes as we're, we're in this vapid culture of nonsense. And then, you know, the first responder or the border patrol agent or the police officer or the vet or the military family or the community member who just supports the troops, they get up on stage and explain why they do it and reminds you why America is such a special place. So it is November 17th. It's sold out. However, if you want to go on Ticketmaster or one of those, there's some secondary market tickets if you still want to go. Amazing. Amazing. And where is that being held this year? Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida. So the other Hollywood uh, in the free state of Florida. Uh, and yeah, it's it's going to be an event. You can watch it on Fox Nation Live and then it'll probably show in part on Fox News Channel as well. Will a certain governor be making a uh, appearance? It's uh, a good question. He was there last year. Uh, TBD. TVD. And, and, you know, uh, sort of bringing it close to home, he was uh, the judge advocate general at SEAL Team 1 when I was on the West Coast. Had the privilege uh, of meeting really? yeah, DeSantis, and, you know, the guys loved him. He was he was the JAG, and for those listeners that don't understand the military, that means the lawyer. Uh, he was the JAG that everyone loved. See, that's wonderful to hear, because most... JAG officers go by the nickname JAG offs because you can't stand them because they're finding a way to gig you uh, and create problems for the real trigger pullers. So when you find a good JAG, JAG officer, wrap your arms around them and promote them because they're the ones that allow the warfighters to actually kill bad guys. And the other ones create nonsense where there doesn't have to be. Civil conversation in, in the character assassination, it seems like, well, I'll tell you, when you attack my character, the conversation's done. There's never yeah. reason to, yep. to, to attack someone's character in what is meant to be an unemotional, logical debate on why you may have different views than, than us. But it does seem that, and hey, being a veteran, you've, you've heard some horrible thing from the horrible things uh, from, from certain American people, which never underestimate the stupidity of the, uh, of the American people. I mean, that, that's got to be hard for you, man. Uh, and I think we all want we're, we're all Americans. We all want the, the same thing. What, what advice do you have to people to, to, to tamper down that emotion and come together? I mean, I actually think it's a lot easier for me. I actually think I mean, not just because of the calluses that you build up over the years, but because my job, I get paid to give my opinion on television. I'm not pretending to be a journalist. I'm not pretending to be objective. My job is to give a point of view based on what I believe and be open and honest about it. You can like me or not like me, fine. And you can come after me and criticize me, fine. That's easy. That's really easy. I ignore the labels. I ignore the, the, the negativity, the things people say about me, what they accuse me of being, the character assassination, certainly the identity politics. Like it just doesn't work. It's not effective and, and it, it what I so the people I feel for are everyday Americans who yeah. are informed and are passionate and deserve to have their own opinion and deserve to uh, to speak out. But because of the today's culture and cancellation, and if you're a nurse or a construction worker or a teacher or uh, you work at the VA or you take your pick and you don't have a platform and you want to have a political voice, you're put in a box and told you can say the following things with the following pronouns, with the following acceptable points of view. Otherwise, your livelihood might be threatened or, you know, your your ability to speak out might be threatened. You're not actually free if what you think inside your head, you can't say with your lips. 
And that's that my concern is I, I want I call I would call it information warfare. What what I do at this point, it is it is battling to ensure that the space in which people can operate in the public square is as wide and open as possible. It's what higher education is supposed to be and wasn't when you were there. It's what Harvard isn't anymore. It's an indoctrination camp. You could only have one view, which is why I mailed the degree back. We should stop holding those institutions up as gatekeepers of, of expertise or, or, or places that we should revere. Uh, it, it, it's really tough to have real civil discourse. I think Elon Musk is going to try on Twitter to say we're not going to, I mean, we'll, they're going to try to sabotage him at every turn you're already seeing it i i think we're in an era how would i put it we're in an era of yellow journalism in that we we tried to pretend to ourselves that the new york times or cnn you know decades ago was playing it down the middle calling balls and strikes giving us you know independent analysis that was never the case tom brokaw didn't do that you know walter cronkite didn't do that but we at least felt like we all agreed on on the margins of the, of the mm-hmm. big things like america's a good place free market's a good thing like our military cops are a good thing all those things were assumed that's all broken down now it's who can make the best argument and i think the wider the ecosystem of voices the better because i believe that you know the judeo-christian capitalist constitutional bedrock of our republic wins out in that debate if given the opportunity to to have voice and that's what i'm that's what i'm clinging to well i don't know if you saw elon received an email from uh, hr that it was time to lead the twitter <laughs> way i need to get that for a guy who has a leadership development consulting firm i've got to see their style of leadership in management maybe i could learn a, uh, oh a thing or two and that's coming from a bay area native um let, let me ask you this both with higher education and civil discourse do you think we can return to maybe 15, 20 years ago? And the reason I say that is uh, General, uh, not Jerry Boykin, um, he's the president of the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. It'll come to me, uh, Huttmacher, General Huttmacher. Came into the Marine Corps, very tail end of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Vietnam War. And I said, hey, have you ever seen things this bad? And he said, no, I haven't. This, this is the worst I've seen it. Do you think there is a return to normalcy uh, with both higher education and civil discourse? It's a long-term road. Sure, there is a return. That's why I wrote the last book I did called Battle for the American Mind. We've abdicated the education of our youngest kids for 100 years rapidly in the last decade and expected to have a shared civil discourse while pumping out kids who believe America is an evil place. Who their, 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 their baseline is, no, America is not special because it was stolen from the Indians and built on the backs of slaves. Our founding date should be 1619, not 1776. We should tear down all our statues, including Abraham Lincoln. And then maybe once we've paid parations to everyone and everyone can change their gender, then we have this utopia that will be unleashed on Earth, which has always been a lie. See, in the Vietnam War, as bad as it got, and it got really bad, there was still a baseline education and a sentimentality that America was worth fighting for a good place right now. When we debate folks on, on the far left of the other side, they're saying tear it all down and burn it all down. That's really hard to have a so-called discourse with you fix that by pumping out a generation of kids that have gone back to the basics. I believe classical Christian education is the place to do that. And so you've got that one, two, three, four percent in 20 years, in 40 years that have a, a generational and different view. And you can start to rebuild in the ashes. But I think it's you can't keep a country when the citizens of that country think that country is a bad place. I think politics is still a place where uh, there's still an amazing reservoir of goodwill. 
yes. amongst people who vote and have uh, common sense in their brain. And you're going to see that, I believe, on Election Day and probably in 2024 in light of what of what Biden has done. But politics is downstream of culture and culture is downstream of religion. And when you burn the other things down or you abdicate them and you outsource them, it becomes increasingly difficult to win politically. And I think that's what the left is counting on. So could it happen? Yes. If we continue on our trajectory, will it happen? No, like nothing's inevitable. Our republic's not inevitable. History tells no, us that, that empires rise and fall. And why would we, why would it be any different? It's, uh, it, it, I would say this for somebody who fought for 20, well, 20 year career, but 10 combat deployments, man, we, we thought while we were over there and you were there with us that everyone back here had it covered down that they would work together to make the nation uh, better, regardless of their opinions or or their political leanings, is that they would come together as our soldiers were forward uh, fighting the, uh, the good fight. You know, I watched Ray Dalio and Henry Kissinger in a interview uh, recently. Of course, Henry Kissinger was talking, Ray Dalio was listening. And Kissinger's, you know what, Kissinger should have probably about 10 writers surrounding him at all times. Uh, before he dies, because that guy is a genius. But he said, you know, post-World War II, we were the greatest economic power in the nation. There was no way that we could have possibly sustained that. But we were also the greatest, the world's greatest leadership incubator. We set the standard for leadership for the world post-World War II. And that was sustainable, but it's degraded. For someone who's been in the military, and you know we put a precedence on leadership and you put a precedence on it now. Man, this is a loaded question. Do you think our national leaders in the national capital region are setting the example, which we know is, if you forget everything else in the military, <laughs> they say, always lead by example. Do you think, well, one, I, I know the answer. They're, they're not. But how do, you, how do you change the behavior of politicians to lead by example, not what they say, it's, it's what you do. So doing is greater than talking. How do we get the national capital region back to the days of JFK, of Reagan? Oh man, it's a big question. First of all, I would love to move the capital out of Washington, D.C. to somewhere else in middle America where, where they have to restart. I mean that like sincerely, like take the Department of Education and abolish it, take the Department of Agriculture and move it to an agriculture state. I, I just, you, you, gotta, you gotta rethink the entire because the, the extent to which Washington, D.C. is is captured and poisoned, I don't think can be overstated. We saw yeah. it in what was done to uh, Donald Trump. We see it in the total incompetency that persists throughout all agencies. And now the, the leveraging for political weaponization that we see in a lot of our most powerful institutions. I mean, take the Defense Department, for example. I mean, the debacle that happens in Afghanistan occurs and no one's fired, no one resigns, no one's held accountable at all. It's because the institution exists to perpetuate itself and the rise of people who are willing to play by the prerogatives of the political class. And that has a lot to do with social justice and identity politics nonsense inside the Pentagon. So you hear Mike Milley yelling about white rage and Lloyd Austin talking about stand downs. They're not leaders. They're followers of the political moment. And the moment for them is... Barack Obama started a social experiment in the military, Joe Biden continuing it. And I think you, would, you just have to have politicians that actually do what they say they're going to do. And, and I think Donald Trump tried to do that in 2016. He was just new to politics and, and didn't know necessarily the right personnel to bring in. I think what the swamp fears the most is 
a second term of that where they actually know how Washington works and we take the big moves uh, to change it. I'm also not to get on a tangent, but I'm also a big fan of of convention of states. It's an Article five or, or it's an organization that exists to trigger trigger and use Article five of the Constitution, which effectively if you get enough state legislatures to pass the same amendment, which 19 have already. You can hold a can uh, a amending convention convention to the Constitution. The founders put it in there with no debate because they believe that the federal government ever got so big, the state should have the prerogative to rein it in. And this kind of we the people movement uh, is a it's it's the civil war without the bullets uh, in, in a political sense to reign in the federal government that otherwise never, never, never will. And certainly doesn't care about the interests of average people. So I think it's really um, dramatic steps that have to be taken at this point to rein it in. Nipping around the margins just means playing in their playing their game. It, 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 it is a wildly different political view on government. Well, for a guy who served 20 years in government. I'm not a fan. In fact, what did Reagan say? What were the nine most dangerous words uh, in the English language? I'm, I'm from the government. From I'm the, here to help. Yep. <laughs> the private sector will always move more rapidly and efficiently. And I think Elon with SpaceX and other, you know, other other organizations have, have proven that model. Yep. Um, so I, w- I want to dive into Modern Warrior. One in, in you know, I didn't prep this, but. I do. I've got a new book called The Everyday Warrior coming out on uh, January 10th, 2023. And, and awesome. you know, Warrior is not uh, siloed to people who carry a gun. Uh, one, I talk about there's a difference between war fighters and warriors. They're not necessarily mutually ex- exclusive. I knew some very good war fighters who maybe were not the most ethical people uh, and maybe, in my opinion, not warriors. So I think a, a, a single mother of two trying to. Uh, grind and sacrifice for her two kids to give them uh, a better life is, is more of a warrior than some of the guys I served with. But in your opinion, wh- what is a warrior to you? Oh man, that's a great big, I, I, I would, that's why we did the book is because I think individual examples of that war warrior ethos, the obstacles they faced, the sheer human nature you have to overcome um, the challenges and excuses that you could always give into at any moment. Uh, and then I, I think courage has a lot to do with it. I mean, in the military, we overcome that courage with, with, with training and men and women that we train with who are prepared in those moments. So, so your, your, your training and your instincts kick in along with the motivation of being there for the guys next to you. But courage is, is, a, is a great deficiency in our culture right now. I think that, I mean, you'd have to tell me you're writing the book on it, but the components of dealing with complex situations, preparing, putting the mission first, working with people to do it, having the courage to execute. Uh, and that can be in our churches, in our cultures, in our school, in our homes. It certainly does not have to be on the battlefield, like you said. Um, but I think we're at a moment, and I can say this in an educational con- uh, context, our republic doesn't survive if our families and our schools and our churches are pumping out cultural survivors, meaning people who barely made it through enough to be kind of conservative and generally understand yeah. the free market. Yeah. And they'll go. We need warriors. We need cultural warriors. We need faith warriors. We need economic warriors. We need political warriors who are unafraid to challenge what seems like an old, un- insurmountable uh, 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 challenge, but not just at the macro level. What you're talking about. 
at the micro level inside your own family where you can affect that change. In education, I talk about a radical reorientation of your life around the education of your kids. What are you willing to give up and sacrifice? That's another aspect of a warrior. Sacrifice in order to get the outcome that you know is necessary for the perpetuation of your family, your state, and our freedoms. Um, So that, and, and the book, Modern Warriors, was meant to highlight some of those stories that were accessible, not just to vets, but also in the civilian world. Writing that book, that had to be humbling. As you heard some of these stories, I mean, it had to take, is there there one particular story where you just, you had to stop writing and just think about the gravity of what one of these individuals did? Well, I mean, you've got, you've got Nick Irving, you know, the the Reaper, the one of the most decorated snipers uh, in the, you know, he talked about the uh, in, in the war coming home and having to put the reaper away and the challenges of transition and that exist in all of that. You know what? It's, it's humbling in that, you know, I hear you say 20 years, 10 tours. You know, I did 12 years, three tours, but one of which was a guard and another is a platoon leader. Another one's an instructor. And I'll, what's humbling is to realize how many dudes did so much assuming that on the domestic front, they had our six only to realize that's not the case. And that the, metaphorical war, cultural war continues at home. And now we're going to have to be at the forefront of that again. And I bringing out that realization amongst many of the stories uh, was a big part of it. Yeah. You realize what a small part, but but it also increases your pride of being a small part of, of that fight to, uh, to, I mean, Joey Jones is in the book. He's a colleague of mine at Fox and considering what he overcame in the darkness that he saw and the ability to live the way that he does. It's those kind of stories we, we hope give some inspiration and inspiration to folks. You know, one of the companies I'm wearing their hat is I love these guys. What Evan Hafer yeah. and these guys have done um, is a shining example for for veterans, not only of their innovativeness. I mean, they took a coffee company, which, you know, they, they do pride their coffee, but they showed that 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 military grit and innovation and just grind and drive to create a company that that stepped apart. Um, you know, I I did have an opportunity to speak with Sebastian Younger, author of uh, the book Tribe, and he was also I think the, the mm. book War. Mm. Um, he basically did the, the documentary yeah. on uh, Restrepo, which was an amazing uh, yeah. uh, story. But you know, he said that. He, he believed that part of the problem that we're seeing with the PTSD rates or suicide rates is when veterans come back, they come out of this culture that is where, you know, they, they identify more with team than they do with self. It is a tribe uh, and they, they, they become so indoctrinated with it. It's part of the DNA that, hey, are my guys, my men and women prepared for whatever they need? Is there something I can give them before I give myself? And that's rare within in civilian populace. And then you come back and you see the leaders in the national capital region who can't get along, who can't act with with professionalism intact, which we drive home in the military. And then all of a sudden it's it is such a just gross culture change that some vets just can't adapt to, to, to I guess, the civilian populace. And there's no there's no sense. There's no common threads amongst men. And that's that is, you know, when he said that, I'm like. It was a revelation, almost to, to the point where he's he's absolutely right, and that's why I was struggling when I got out after twenty years. Is I had nothing in common with people who can't put others before themselves. He's absolutely right. I, I, I read his book cover to cover before I deployed to Afghanistan. Um, if anybody would understand it, especially from the civilian side, it's him. I, the hardest part is finding that next chapter of purpose 
which is effectively what you just described. And I remember coming back from my Iraq deployment to New York City at the at the moment when the Iraq war was maybe at its most unpopular. And I I just, you know, you can go dark real quick. And I was headed in that direction real quick. Uh, and I definitely had post-traumatic stress. And thankfully today, you know, I'm working through passive disorder and into your lives. It's a whole nother conversation, but organizations that exist to plug in that next chapter of purpose peer to peer and you relate to what's going on and you, you get the gallows humor and, and you get, um, you know, the ribbing that comes with it and the connection that comes with it and the, and the teamwork that comes with it. It's rare. I mean, Black Rifle Coffee is an example of it. There are, are others. There are other foundations that tap into that. Just finding ways to get dudes together to talk about the struggles that are common to all of us and then equipping them to find that next chapter before the tongue gets too dark. Yeah. And and I and that's where because I could have I and anybody else could have gone in that direction. But I, I'm fortunate I had an Ivy League degree and ROT. I had plenty of op- options. But, you know, that corporal that was in my platoon who goes back to his hometown and, and was a very qualified machine gunner, um, how does that skill set immediately transition? And who in the world does he plug in with that understands what he's he's done and then finds that next chapter of purpose? And that's that's where we can't expect the VA, the government yeah. to fix that. They're never going to. They're going to treat this guy like a number. And it's got to be us and our generation and organizations that reach out and find those guys. Uh, and and plug them in. But Sebastian Younger, he's right. Yeah, he, he, amazing individual. You know, my company, Talent War Group, we, we place veterans into companies. Unfortunately, it's usually in the general manager position and up. But, you know, it's what it was so frustrating and angering to convince companies to hire some of these amazing veterans coming out, very intelligent men and women, but they just couldn't pull the trigger because they didn't have industry experience. And that's why we wrote the book, The Talent War, how special operations and great organizations went on talent because the military hires for character, not prior experience, because it doesn't exist. Um, And more companies need to recognize, I mean, this is not lost in the, the, the business world. Herb Kelleher, uh, the, 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 you know, founder, early CEO of, of Southwest said, we hire for great attitudes. We can teach all the rest and vets are unflappable, which I know is why you're holding the, the Patriots award in. Do, do you just perk up at this time of year now that this, this is becoming an annual thing? Oh, I'm psyched. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we got a couple, couple people reaching out saying, Hey, I was going to go, but then my work changed and, and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to attend. I got two tickets. And we're going to find, you know, a, a vet military family or a first responder that wants to go and get them a seat. And they should be right up. You know, it's last year we, we, we brought as many of the, the widows of the 13 in Afghanistan who were killed. And, and it was it was it actually become there's actually a little pressure that comes with it, to be honest with you. I'm used to doing TV and I'm used to lights, but it's it's delivering on the depth of the mandate that we want this show to have so that people really do walk away being reminded uh, that we do love this country and there are people out there fighting for it. And I've seen a lot of the awards and the who are getting them this year. And it's going to be amazing. It's, it's, it's going to be amazing. And I, I, I'll tell you this, and I, and I say this sometimes, I, I don't know if I said this last year or when I said it, but when I stand up on a stage, especially like that, there'll be seven, 8,000 people in the audience and television cameras and lights and phone. I always think about the dudes that I served with. I always, always do. Because I think I, the, the applause and the ovations and the stuff that I get 
I don't deserve it. You know, it's, there's so many dudes that I wish I could throw on that stage with me who could feel that love that the nation has for them that maybe they don't feel and maybe they don't see, especially in such a distracted culture. And so while I can't pull them all up, uh, man, I think about them and I want to recognize them and I want to do them right. And, and I'll tell you this, when I'm on TV, I hear from them all the time. If I mess up, I'll tell you that uh, if I get <laughs> something wrong, especially on the vets military side, I mean, I hear about it and I love it because I, I want them to feel like I can channel uh, their voice also. So yeah, it's, it's my favorite event of the year for, by far. And, you know, all of Fox is going this year. So it's going to, you know, Tucker and Hannity and Laura and the five and Fox and friends, everybody's broadcasting from there. Uh, it's going to be a, it'll be a fun event. So you, you get a text from your guys before that says, sir, don't suck. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. That is a verbatim quote, multiple of them that I get. Yes. Well, Pete, I, get, I can tell by the smile on your face. Uh, when, when you think when you're, you when you're talking about your guys and that's you know we see that amongst military leaders all the time is they'd rather talk about their guys than they would talk about themselves and i know you guys wish you could probably pass out a thousand more awards at that that award show um but yeah. for what you're doing on behalf of all veterans thank you brother uh, you know one i want to uh, ask you a few questions that we ask all our guests again, going back to the everyday warrior sort of motto of learning from people who've done a lot, which you've been highly successful. And we say that success leaves breadcrumbs. So collect all the breadcrumbs you can from the people around you and try to follow them to, 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 to your own path uh, for success, whatever that may be. So first question is what is the toughest decision or hardest decision you've ever had to make in your life? Oh, I know there's stumpers. Um, oh man, there are stumpers. Um, you know, I'm probably the biggest decision that I made, which I'm glad I made, was right when I came back from Guantanamo Bay in 2005, I went back to work at Bear Stearns. I was in the National Guard. Yep. I had no business working on Wall Street. And I was able to get in touch with my former platoon trainer from Fort Benning, now known as whatever they're going to call it. Um, and he he had an opening. I asked him, he had an opening as a platoon leader to go to Iraq in six weeks. And I just gotten back two months earlier from the longest year of my life at Guantanamo Bay. And I was newly married and that marriage didn't end uh, well, probably partly because of this, but uh, it, it wrenched me because I knew I should probably stay home, but I knew I would ultimately regret yeah. it more yes. than life itself if I didn't go to be a platoon leader at the height of the Iraq war with the Rakasans and the 101st. And it, but it was still a really, really tough decision. Probably the one where I, it was, and, I, and since then I've kind of used the regret test is when I look at a decision what would I, you know, play it forward two months, six months, what would I regret not doing the most? And that's probably the best revealer of your gut of what you know you should do, even if in the moment you don't want to. You know, that's a pretty common answer I hear from a lot of guys who whose marriages ended in divorce because they were gone so much. It was, but, you know, as horrible as that sounds, when you think about it, it is selfless in a way too, is that they knew the guys needed them uh, and they needed to be there if something went wrong and they were willing to give away the thing they loved the most, their marriage, uh, not intentionally to, 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 to go be part of, of something that, that required a lot of good people. So I hear you there again, you've been wildly successful. What are those one to three non-negotiables? Those, those key tenants that have led to the majority of success for Pete drive, 
integrity, loyalty? What, what are the three things that you would you would tell a, a young child if they do these three things, their life is going to be, for the most part, probably uh, highly successful? I mean, I think it has it, it, today is an intangible. Um, it hasn't always been, but maybe it's old. I mean, for me, it's 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 my faith in Jesus Christ and living by his law. And when you live by his law, you are liberated. And the years and times that I didn't created the entanglements and challenges that have most burdened me in my life. And so realizing the liberating power of, of, of Jesus and, and biblical wisdom is really important and often lost on so many of us in our, in our younger, uh, more self-driven years. Uh, I would also say just sheer straight up hard work, like just straight up like, outwork other people. That's what I did when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, six, seven hours a day playing basketball. Like I was going to be a D one player. I was going to play in the NBA and I knew I was going to take more free throws and threes and work on my game more than anybody else. And I was going to walk, I was going to, and it just, if I hadn't done that nine other doors wouldn't have opened for other reasons at other places because I made myself the best I could at something and left nothing on the field. I can't look back and say I didn't give everything I had in that context. And then that, of course, translates then to the military and it translates to writing books and doing whatever you can. I mean, I, I, I was a I appeared on any show Fox needed for years and years and years and years and years before they even knew my name. You know, when no one else would do it It, early in the morning, late at night, you know, oh, you call me, I'll do it. Just work your tail off, um, actually. And then I think the the third one would be uh, how you respond to adversity, not allowing adversity to to set you back permanently. Uh, My dad always said, you know, it's how you respond. And, And in those moments when you're set back. Make a choice. And the rebound is often way better, obviously, than than the pitfalls you had in the first place. That's interesting because that really applies to what I think is the next sort of pandemic within the United States, which is victimhood. Is a horrible things will happen, but you control your response to them. You are never a victim. Ever. Correct. You always have a response or a reaction that you own. Um, Pete, I'm going to do one different. There are veterans at home right now who are wondering if they matter. What advice for somebody that's lived what they went through, what advice do you have for them? What is the next step for them to take? Um, drop on your knees and know that you got a Lord that loves you, even if it doesn't feel like anybody else does. And I know you saw that and said that when you were out there, like we say, there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, God is real with the things you see and the depravity of evil that you confront and the goodness of the people that you fought next to who dug in for something that is otherworldly in what you somehow survived. And, and just know that in a, in a, in a, godly context of course we're all nothing we're all ashes and dust this is all temporary we go into the world with nothing and we leave with nothing so just because the world says somebody is important or special or worth listening to doesn't change the worth that you have you know what you did you know how significant it was and you know those values that translate and you know in the military you know how hard you worked and how much you pushed and i i think i had a little bit of this temptation when i came back from iraq i was like I mean, I've done my, I've, I mean, don't tell me I haven't done my part. I've, I've done my part. Don't tell me. And do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, but I'm 26. It's not, you don't pause that. Don't tell me I haven't done my part. Okay. Now I've done one small part of one small part. What's next? Like dig on the attributes that got you through basic, that got you through AIT, that got you through your first unit. 
dig into those in the civilian context. And yeah, it might not be as sexy and you don't get to shoot guns or what, what, but there's find other places where you can find purpose that translates and dive into that. Cause you're going to have the same kind of success you had in the military. And, and over time, as you have more success, you can set more parameters around who you want to be working with and where you want to be working and when you want to be working. That's how it works. But don't just too many vets come home and go, all right, that's it. I got my vet cap now and I did my piece, you know, yes. and I understand that instinct. It can't our country needs you again. So does your family. In World War II generation blazed away with that one out of uh, I think, what was it? Yeah. Uh, 50% started their own businesses or went back and got their college degrees. No, uh, wise words, Pete. Um, we're going to have to get you on one of our expeditions uh, coming up. Uh, maybe seven continents, seven days, seven skydives. If you're up to it, we, we're <laughs> good group of vets, man. We're trying to live life to the fullest, mitigating risk, of course. We're not sociopaths, oh, but this uh, this next one is is good. And in, in fact, we're we're planning to take 15 to 20 vets to give them some amputees to give them the gift of flight and teach them how to uh, to skydive. We'll get you. We'll, we'll send you an invite on that one, Pete. Again, where can people? Follow the Patriot Awards. I know Ticketmaster, there's some spare tickets, you said, but if yeah. they can't attend I mean, you can, in person. Foxnation.com, if they, if they can't attend, go to foxnation.com. In fact, right now, always, vets and military can get, I, I don't know if it's always a year. We do those in increments, but at the very minimum, a month free. I believe it's an ongoing, I should get this confirmed, year long for vets, year long for first responders and military. Uh, and, and, you know, firefighters and, and police officers, just check out the content. Like it's, it's, it's the exact opposite of what you're going to see on Netflix or Disney or take your pick. Like this is, this is content, quality content created by people who love our military, love our cop. I mean, cops lives there now. The show that got canceled now lives on yeah. Fox nation. Uh, we have a show called modern warriors where we just get, you know, five dudes around a campfire or, you know, in a lounge drinking whiskey, talking about, the military and the state of the military and combat. And, you know, it's, it's stuff I think people will relate to. And then when the award show happens, you can watch it live. And if you really want to go, there's, there's still ways to figure it out. Although I think it's getting a little pricey right now. Unfortunately, yeah, I bet it is. Uh, I bet but it yeah, is. I just appreciate, I appreciate you highlighting it. I, I really do. It's, it's a fun event and i um, proud to be a part of it. Well, Pete, I can't thank you enough for joining us uh, in for fighting the good fight, despite what the other side no, you, man. throw your Thank way you. and attack your character hold your ground man moral courage is the, is the one thing that we have a, a deficit in this nation physical courage we have it in spades but hey man we'll, we'll drop all the links for the Patriots Award so that the listeners can find it. I will be tuning in. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your wisdom. And for all our listeners, this is the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. We will see you again. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. Hey, whatever platform you utilize to listen to our podcast, please, please leave a review. We read all of them. That's how we get better. And lastly, again, thank you to our sponsor, Pendleton Whiskey. We've got your six. Cheers.